Yo, 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 everybody. Welcome back to today's episode of Guiding Sports Pod Volume 2. This is the number one sports podcast in the world. My name is Sean Guiney, and we're back with the second episode of Volume 2, like I just said. Um, we got a packed show today. We've got a lot to talk about, a lot of news, a lot of uh, big news coming from the Bruins. Um, they fired Bruce Cassidy. We'll get to that. First, the first thing is what we're going to get to is that. And then we're going to get to the uh, Celtics, who are in the NBA Finals and are tied at one apiece. It's Golden State Warriors. Game three tomorrow night. Big game. Garden's going to be rocking. I'm excited for that. Really excited. Um, talk a little bit about the Red Sox, who are above 500, um, surprisingly. Uh, they're very hot. They're doing very well. I'm excited um, about this team. Um, then we'll wrap up the show with stuff on the internet. Got a story, finally. I didn't have one last week because I was unprepared, but uh, that's just how it goes. But I'm back this time with another with another story um, to share. <laughs> um, so today, uh, got a lot to do. Got a lot to get to. Um First, I want to start off with a bit of news about the show. Um, so I know I mentioned last week one of the first changes, one of the first new things I'm going to be doing in the show, for the show. Um, uh, was supposed to start up this week. Uh, even though I announced it was probably going to be next week. Um, it was supposed to start this week, but uh, that changed, unfortunately. So now it's going to be next week. Um, but... It's still gonna it's still gonna happen either way. It may actually not happen next week. I don't know because I got some thinking to do. Uh, I got to figure some stuff out first before I go ahead with putting it in place permanently. Because once it starts, it's not stopping. Um, so I'll be happy next week. But I think it's a great idea. I'm very excited to start doing it next week, maybe possibly. Um, so. Yeah, I just want to put that out there that it may happen next week. It may not happen next week. I don't know. Um, hopefully, something does happen next week, either this new idea or another thing that I want to do. Um, one of the two. But either way, um, I just want to jump right into it. So we got we got a lot to get to today. And we're going to start off with one of the two teams that play in the TD Garden. Uh, and it's not the team that's playing right now. It's the uh, Boston Bruins, who, for some stupid fucking reason, they fired Bruce Cassidy yesterday, uh, citing a change in the locker room was needed. Um, first off, I guess what I can say to that is that the only change that was needed uh, is in the upper office, the ninth, up on the ninth floor, not in the locker room. Uh, if anyone was to get fired, it should have been Don Sweeney. He fucking sucks. He needs to go. He is only here because he's buddies with Cam Neely, and I love Cam Neely, former Bruin, all-time great Bruin, but, I mean, this, this he's starting to now lose it on me, too, so I think that he should also be on the hot seat, um, but judging from the fact that they put the blame uh, on Bruce Cassidy, they used him as a scapegoat, uh, I don't see that happening. Plus, Don Sweeney's up for a contract this offseason, and uh, judging from the fact that he fired Bruce Cassidy, I'd say that general manager who was getting sent out the door was not would not be firing the uh head coach. So uh to begin uh talking about this, um 
it first of all, I guess, is really unfortunate that he did get fired. Um, it's really going to hurt the team next season, even though um, there's a lot of rumors of, like, he wasn't connecting with the players anymore. Patrice Bergeron spoke today um, in an interview, which he did in French, uh, so it was translated over to English. Uh, but he was saying that he had no he basically to summarize what he said he basically had no uh care as to who the head coach would be he was perfectly fine with Bruce Cassidy he had no issues with Cassidy like which I guess is good basically that's good news I guess you can call that good news um I don't know for who but knowing that Bergeron didn't have an issue the captain who just won its fifth fifth Zelke trophy most all time so, props to him. Um, I mean, if he didn't have an issue, then did somebody else? Is somebody else going to speak up and say that they had an issue with Cassidy? I doubt it. But, I mean, this is this is a bad look for the Bruins. This is a bad look for the Bruins. As you probably cannot say otherwise. Um, for this team to have as much success as they did under Cassidy, I mean, they made the playoffs every year. People are complaining about the fact that they just barely squeaked into the playoffs this season. I mean, they were the first wild card, uh, and they were well clear of the next closest team. Like, they were over 20 points um, ahead of missing the playoffs. They had So it went Bruins. They finished with 107 points. Capitals, 100. The next closest team was the Islanders, who finished with 84 points. That's 23 less points than the Bruins had. So for people to say that the Bruins snuck into the playoffs, I mean, unless you think that the Islanders were going to go, I don't know, 15-0 and 0 in their last 15 games, that wasn't happening. They got in because they were a good team. They had, like, the third-best record over the last 50 games of the season, I think. Um... I know, like, since February, they, they got, went on a massive hot streak. Um, they had their ups and downs, yes. I mean, every team does during the regular season, even Avalanche, who seemed more than likely the top favorite to win the Stanley Cup now that they've made it to the final, the finals. I mean, the Avalanche had their, they had a down part of the season. So for people to say that the Bruins just snuck into the playoffs, I mean... No, they didn't. It's just an excuse. Because a lot of people did not like Cassidy. Yeah, I, find, I thought he was an okay coach. Sure, there may have been some issues in his style, but a lot of the issues that affected the Bruins' performance came from the fact that uh, he didn't get enough players to be successful with. I mean, he didn't have a second-line center all season, basically. Taylor Hall, people who complained about him not being good. I mean, who? how many different linemen did he have besides Craig Smith? Eric Hall, he, sure, he got hot at the end of the season. Where was he the first, I don't know, 50 games of the season? 60. I mean, this team was not built for a cup run. And so to put the blame on the coach for not having enough players to go on a cup run... Where's the sense in that? I mean, it all lies on Don Sweeney. He should have been the one fired yesterday. 
but being the former Bruin, being friends with Cam Neely, who has pretty much free reign to run the team because the Jacobs family is non-existent. When's the last time anyone heard them speak? What, during the Cup, 2018? I mean, what just what is happening with this team? With Cassidy, now, if they kept Cassidy and fired Sweeney, that would have been perfect, in my opinion, because in a couple of years, Bergeron's going to be gone. Marshawn may be gone. This team, this Bruins team, they have a nasty rebuild coming their way. I mean, I'm talking maybe to the level of the Detroit Red Wings. This team, by keeping Cassidy, probably would have had maybe some, um, I don't want to know, I don't want to say like success. Um, but going out, getting a top five draft pick, lottery pick, have that guy, I don't know, maybe spend a little bit in the AHL, then get called up that following season to be coached by Bruce Cassidy, that probably could have been good for his growth for the next wave of Bruins to win the Cup. By firing Don Sweeney, we won't have to worry about trading away their top five pick to get back, I don't know, a 29-year-old like this team seems to be doing. Because they're, the way that they're going, the way that they're being run by Sweeney is that they're going to pretty much buy a team. They're going to go out, they're going to buy guys. They're not going to draft, which is not successful. I mean, look at the Colorado Avalanche again. What, 2016, they had the worst record in the league, and now six years later, after making the playoffs every year since 2016, they're in the cup final. Edmonton, they sucked for many years. They could have made the cup final had they not, I don't know, lost, not get swept. This Bruins team, uh, they don't want to face the fact that they're going to miss the playoffs. They don't like thinking that way, which I mean is good, but in reality, it has to happen. Every team has to go through their rebuild. Every team has to tear down what was once successful. I mean, it's just it's just an inv- an inevitable inevitable part of running a team. You have your highs, then in order to have another high, you gotta hit the lows. And this team, but this with Don Sweeney as general manager, I mean, that's not gonna happen. I also heard a stat today that in the past fifty years, the Boston Bruins have missed the playoffs a total of. I'll let you think about this for a second. Just. Take a second, think about it. I'll give you a second before I announce it. The total amount of time that the Bruins have missed the playoffs in the last 50 years is seven times. I don't have the years because I wasn't told. I didn't look this up. I was, I heard it. They've missed the playoffs seven times in the last 50 years. Unfortunately, Stuff like that has to come to an end. 
you have to go a couple of years and miss in the playoffs in order to reassert yourself and to being one of the top teams in the league, a perennial cup contender. I mean, that's what Detroit's doing. They had what? What was the record? Like 22 straight years of making the playoffs? And they haven't made the playoffs in a couple of years now. Yeah, it was... Um, they made the playoffs 25 years in a row. Which is half 50. But... Uh, now, now they're reasserting themselves, reasserting themselves as one of the better young, te- younger teams in the league. Um, Snyder, Moritz Snyder, uh, Dylan Larkin, you're the third guy that I'm forgetting. But they're they're asserting themselves as on the come up. And they could have, they were looking like a decent team halfway through the season, but then they collapsed. Uh, and missed the playoffs. Even the Buffalo Sabres, who haven't made the playoffs in 10 years, 12 years, they're on the come up. I mean, it's just an an inevitable fact that you got to go through a rebuild. And by keeping Don Sweeney, I don't don't think this, it's going to extend their rebuild even longer. It's going to make it last longer. Because I don't trust this guy anymore. I don't like this guy anymore. He's got to go. It should have been him yesterday getting fired, not Bruce Cassidy. It's now, you know, you not only probably screwed yourself for this upcoming season, having to, if he returns, uh, give Bert, Patrice Bergeron a brand new coach for his last potential season in the NHL. Uh, Brad Marchand is now on his third coach, and he's starting maybe to wind down in his career. He's on. He's definitely on the back stretch, the back nine. You got to give him a new coach. Why? Because you didn't like this guy anymore. Because you claimed that players weren't connecting with him anymore. And I find that to be, I don't know, utter bullshit. Hate to say it, but it is. It is bullshit. Bruce Cassidy should not have been fired. And it blows my mind that The owners aren't even in, in getting involved in it. Where are the owners? I put to break out the tier list for uh, who gets most blame for why Bruce Cassidy was fired. Uh, I'd go number one Don Sweeney, number two Cam Neely, number three Jacobs family. Those three are most responsible for this. Don Sweeney for firing Bruce Cassidy. Cam Neely for letting Don Sweeney fire Bruce Cassidy, and the Jacobs family for letting Cam Neely let Don Sweeney fire Bruce Cassidy by not firing Cam Neely. And you got, but you got to think of the future. You really have to think of the future, and that's what I'm trying to hit hardest with this issue: is the fact that they're not looking to the future. Four or five years down the road, when when Bergeron is definitely definitely not playing, and you got to reassess. They're not doing that. They think that what they have now is successful enough. That's why when they trade for Hampus Lindholm, I was confused as to why they immediately signed him to an eight-year contract. Because they have a rebuild coming. They just don't want to admit it. They don't want to see see it that way. 
they don't want to admit that they are going to have to miss the playoffs. It's playoffs or bust. It doesn't matter if you win the cup. Because we all know how the Stanley Cup works. Once you get in, it's anyone's game. And I guess the Bruins believe very highly in that. As long as they get in, they have a good shot at winning the cup. It's an even playing field in their opinion. But most of the time, it's not. And especially when you buy a team, if you buy a team, I mean, I'd say you have less chance of success than if you were to draft and let guys grow up together, have set a good relationship with each other, and have have success that way, have a homegrown team. Nothing wrong with having a homegrown team. And we're seeing it now with the Celtics in the finals. Back-to-back years, basically. Back-to-back years of two homegrown teams competing for the finals. I mean, it's just... It's uh, scary, if you think about it, with the way that the Bruins are headed. It really is scary. You, you should be very worried if you're a Bruins fan about what the future holds. They're not looking to rebuild. They're looking to be a playoff contender every year, even if it means they got to spend and spend and trade at the deadline, trade away all their draft picks, which they have. I don't think they have a first-round pick this year, which, I don't know, can maybe be helpful in, I don't know, speeding up the process because there's nothing wrong with a first-round draft pick. But with Don Sweeney's drafting, uh, I don't know if I'd trust him. So maybe it is a good idea that they're trading away all the draft picks because they know that Don Sweeney will just blow it on guys who will spend seven years in the AHL and then eventually just get traded away for a bag of potato chips. But, um, yeah, if, you, if you're a Bruins fan, you should be worried because the way that this team's headed right now, uh, nope, I don't like it. I don't want any part of it. I'm concerned. I'd say I'm concerned. Because I'd rather I'd rather them be at the bottom of the league than finish the season with 80 points, missing the playoffs by 20, and in a middle-of-the-ground draft pick that is not really useful at all. You know, I'd rather go for the top prospects instead of the middle guys. Obviously, and I mean, we've seen that. We've seen the way that some of these top three draft picks have played out recently. They're pretty damn good. And I guess the Bruins don't want any part of getting good young talent. They want the old guys. They want the old, slow guys. That was one of my takeaways from the Western Conference Final between the uh, Oilers and the Avalanche. The speed of some of these guys is insane. And you look at the Bruins, and I don't know what their average age is. I'm kind of just guessing. But it's probably in the high 20s. 28, 29. That's not a key for success anymore. You got to go young. You got to draft McKinnon. I don't want to say McDavid because he's very good. You want to go for a McKinnon. You want to go for a... I don't know who's another good young player right now. That's success. That's like the three remaining teams. And I don't know, but that's what you want to go for. You want to go for the young guys. Makar, he's very, he's incredibly good. 
UMass product. We should not be going old. We should not be going slow. We should not be going for making the playoffs every year for the next five years. You should just pretty much face the facts that this team has to rebuild. And they don't want to. They don't want to. So, was that? Uh, let's uh, switch gears and talk about a team that did go through a rebuild. It only lasted, I don't know, three years, two years, if that. And uh, are now reaping in the rewards of playing in the NBA Finals. Boston Celtics. Game three tomorrow night at the Garden. Uh, that place is going to be rocking um, because the series is tied one to one, which to me is a major surprise because I thought that the Warriors were going to take both games out there. I kind of thought that this would be like a home and home series. Um, even though like the Celtics are a good road team, um, that game one performance was insane, I'd say, uh, especially in the fourth quarter where I, I pretty much just started laughing every time we had a shot in the fourth quarter, because we outscored them. I think it was like forty to nineteen in the uh, fourth quarter. Um. Yeah, 40 to 16 in the fourth quarter. I just started laughing every time we had a shot. Al Horford especially. I mean, he had uh, went six for nine from three, which uh, to me, <laughs> I would not expect, expect that out of the guy. I think it set the finals record for uh, most made threes um, by a player making his debut. Which, I mean, if you think about it, with how many, um, like, stars, especially lately, are making it to the, fi- to the finals for the first time, Al Horford, out of all of them, has hit the most threes. That, that was um, a little surprising when I heard that. But, um, so yeah, game one, I mean, it was just a... Surprising win. I, I'm going to call it a surprising win. A surprising commanding win. Even though it was only 12 points, 120 to 108. I was still kind of um, surprised at how large of a margin that they won by. Um, only, only because, I mean, it, like the biggest reason I was surprised was the fact that Jason Tatum it's really a no-show in Game 1. He was also a no-show in Game 2, uh, but we're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, but the fact that Tatum was kind of a no-show in Game 1, and they still scored 120 points, I mean, that's um, something to be, uh, like, good, feeling good about, um, knowing that you can get scoring from people other than Tatum. Horford, he gave you those 26 points. Um, Brown had a good game. Derek White had a great game again. Um, Smart, he was okay. He was what you'd expect out of Marcus Smart. 
18 points. Um, so just knowing that um, you can get scoring outside of Tatum game one, I mean, it's a great feeling. And that should, that it should make you uh, feel good um, going forward about where this team, how this team can get its uh, scoring. But then we move on to game two, where, I don't know, you can kind of call it a no-show by Tatum. Um, I know I did. But um, he did lead the team in points with 28, but he was also a minus 36, which is uh, not good. It is not good if you are anything over, I don't know, minus 15, minus 20. If you're anything over a minus 20, that is not good. So for him to be a minus 36, I mean, that's awful. And, I mean, the Warriors had every right to be up by as much as I think they were up by, like, 29 at one point, almost 30. Yeah, I think it was, like, 29 points. Warriors had every right to be up that much. Because the Celtics pretty much did not deserve to be anywhere close to making a close game. They deserve to get blown out. Because they were not hitting their shots. Defense wasn't there. I mean, it, games like that, it you don't want to lose like that. Because if you do, I mean, then you aren't deserving of winning the game at all. Once you get down by that much, you don't deserve to come back, especially in the finals. It's the finals. you got to play at your best, and guys weren't. After seeing Horford put up 28 in Game 1, he came out with 2. Marcus Smart had 18 points in Game 1, 2 in Game 2. Brown had 17 after 24 in the first game. White had 12 after 21 in the first game. You can't have that. You cannot have that in the NBA Finals, especially up against a good team like the Warriors. You got to score as much as possible. You got to hit your shots, and they weren't. And the Warriors were hitting all of theirs. I mean, even the half court buzzer beater at the end of the third by Jordan Poole, who finished with um, 17. It was only 17, but it was a, uh, um, what's the word? It was like a um, demanding, command, commanding 17 points. It was pretty much every shot that he hit was a big, important shot that he had to hit, uh, and he did. So, it's just, you don't want, you cannot, you cannot have games like that anymore. Sure, there may be one. It would not surprise me if there's another game like that where they just stink. But you gotta avoid, you got to avoid that at all costs. You cannot play like that at all. You gotta do better than that. You got to do better than that. Especially now that you're coming back home, you'll have home court advantage. You know that the garden 
or the Celtics feed off the Garden energy. We're out there in San Francisco. I mean, it seemed dead at times. It seemed dead, especially in Game One. I mean, obviously it was gonna be dead and dead. It was going to be dead during Game One, but when Game Two came around, even then it was just. I don't, I'm not feeling it with this crowd. Like, with the Garden crowd, every time that there's a, I don't know, important shot, every time an important shot gets hit, the crowd erupts, and you can feel that. With the Warriors, it was just, all right, we scored again. You, 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 energies, environments like that are just, eh. Not really exciting. I want a good. I want a good crowd when I'm watching a basketball game. Uh, entertaining a, like, crowd that'll an energized crowd. And we're gonna get that from the Garden definitely, uh, because one, it's been so long since we've had a. Uh, the Celtics in the finals last. Um, but also because just the. I don't know acceptance, appreciation of this team. Everyone just loves this team right now. And so, I mean, we've, we've seen it. We've seen, like, pregame shows, like, people going into the games, like, screaming and yelling and jumping, like, photobombing guys doing live shots in front of the garden. It's crowds like that that make the game more, much more enjoyable, a lot more enjoyable. Um... So that's why having game now being back home in Boston, uh, they have a great chance to take command of the series, take a great command of the series. And if they can win both home games, which I hate to say it, or I mean I don't hate to say it because I'd love to see it happen, but I could see I could see it happen. I could see them winning both of these home games. Um. If they do, I mean that'll play. That's that'll be massive. Don't have to worry that much about Game Five. I mean, obviously you want to try to win Game Five, but to bring it back home to Boston, Game Six, win at home. Um, that would be huge for this. That would be huge. That would be awesome. That would be so fucking cool if they could win. I don't. I don't know. I don't know where I stand on this on them just yet. I, I kind of want to see how it plays out tomorrow night. But, I mean, if they can win tomorrow night, if they can take the 2-1 series lead, I like the chances of winning the series. I really do. And for me to say that, I can't believe I really cannot believe I'm saying that. This team, last season, you would not have thought that they would have made it to the finals this year. If I told you last year that they were going to make it to the NBA Finals, you probably, thought, you probably would have thought that I was crazy. I would have too. I would not have believed it. But um, right now, this team, they're just clicking. They're just clicking on all cylinders. When before, it was like one out of the four or five cil- cylinders. And that's it. just very... Um, cool to see that out of them right now. I love it. I love it. This team, you want to, you want to 
root for this team right now, even if you're not a Celtics fan. The way this team is playing right now, I mean, you gotta be, you just gotta be impressed and, um, like happy. Not happy, but like, I guess really just impressed. You gotta be impressed with how this team's playing right now, because it, it really is impressive. I mean, their defense is top notch. Sometimes, the offense clicks. I mean, you want another Derek White game. You want to see him come out, come out the bench and score. Because I like that lineup of um, Tatum, Brown, Smart, White, and then either Horford or Rob Williams, who is very obviously hurt, which is unfortunate because to have him a little more healthier probably would have made my had probably I probably would have had a lot more confidence in them um, if Rob was healthier because he is very obviously like slowly moving up the court you can't really go for all those layups so to have, I like that lineup of Tatum Brown smart Rob or not smart uh, Tatum Brown smart white and one of the two of Rob Williams or Al Horford it just depends, and it also kind of depends on who's out there for the Warriors, because um, Smart's having his his issues with Green, um, Horford, and uh, Horford or um, Rob Williams. Um, they got to get under the net. They got to go for those rebounds. They got to guard the net. That's pretty much their responsibility. This series is to just guard the net. Um, then let Tatum and Brown and that just let them do their thing. Guard Steph and Clay, who's struggling, which is it's kind of you want to capitalize when Clay Thompson's struggling. Like in Game Two, he had uh, eleven points. Uh, in Game One, he had gotta grab it uh, fifteen. Fifteen points in forty minutes in Game One. You want to capitalize on those games where pretty much all of the scoring is coming from Steph Curry. You want to capitalize when it's just him. Because when he's pro- once Clay Thompson starts hitting his shots again and starts making them, I mean, that might spell a little that might spell trouble for his team. Then they gotta be they gotta capitalize when they can. Um otherwise that could be it for them. It could be all done. So hopefully, hopefully, um, game three is uh, successful. They win tomorrow night, hopefully. Um, game four is going to be uh, the 10th. So Friday, game four will be Friday, which makes game five on the 13th. Uh, Friday, sorry, Monday, next Monday. So, by the time we do, I do an episode next week. Somebody will either be up three two, or three one. No, so because game series not over in five. Somebody will be up three two. By the time we come around to next episode, in my opinion, I don't care about my prediction anymore. But in my opinion, I think it will be the Celtics. 
who will be up 3-2. So, that there will be a lot to look for for next week's episode. Um, coming off of Game 5. Um, and then Game 6 will be three days after Game 5, obviously. Um, which is going to be Monday till Thursday. Uh, and then Game 7 is going to be three more days, so Sunday. So still, it'll still probably be in fresh in people's heads two weeks from now, um, fresh off of Game 7. So a lot of basketball. I'm, I'm, not really a, I'm not really a fan of the long breaks in between games, but, I mean, it works out for my show, so I really can't complain about that. kind of gives me content. I mean, it would suck if, like, series ended. Like, for example, if the series was to end tomorrow, I ain't got to go a whole week without doing a show on it. So that would suck. Um, but the way that I look at it, the way that I expect the series to play out is that uh, it could be over in six or seven, which is just around enough time. Um like, it's, it'll end between uh, Game 6 and 7 the next time I do an episode. So, I'll have enough time to do an episode about, on it. But, um, either way, Celtics, Warriors, series tied up at 1, Game 3 tomorrow night. Uh, prediction, I'm going with the Celtics. I like the Celtics in this game. And depending on how well they play, I'd probably really like them in Game 4 as well to go up 3-1. But I'm still, it is still surprising to me that the Celtics could be that close to winning the NBA Finals. Just seeing where they were a couple of years ago. I'm still not over that. I'm still not over the way that they played over the last few years. This season really turned it around. They really turned around on me. So, um, yeah. Let's go Celtics. All right, um, let's talk about the Red Sox quickly. They are 28-27 on the season. Uh, they're playing the Angels, who are in the midst of a 12-game losing streak, or a 13-game losing streak, one of the two. Uh, and they just fired their uh, manager uh, right before the show started, Joe Madden. Um, so the, Celt- uh, the Red Sox have three more games with the Angels. Um and they're hot right now. The Sox are very hot. Uh, Five-game winning streak. They just came off a sweep of Oakland. Um, and they're slowly climbing back up into the uh, race in the uh, AL East. Um, right now, they sit uh, two-and-a-half games, three-and-a-half games back of Tampa for third, four-and-a-half back of Toronto for second, so they're back in the race. They are back in the race uh, for the playoffs. Um, and I, I expected this. I, I knew that this was coming. I didn't. I did not expect them to be at the bottom um, of the league. Uh, I I expect them to be uh, in the mix for the playoffs. Um, so this little winning streak that they're on right now, sure. They're playing a team that uh, has one of the worst records in the league. 
uh, and a team in the midst of a massive losing streak. I mean, you gotta win those games, and they are. And that's good. That gives me uh, that gives me confidence in them that they can win when they have to. So that's good. That's really good to see that they can win when they have to. They can beat the teams that they have to beat, which they're doing. So uh, with this team, with this Red Sox team, the way that they have been winning lately, in my opinion, uh, it's the fact that they're not going to their bullpen. Michael Walker last night, uh, complete game shutout. Um, how often do you see those nowadays? Um, I think over like the last um, 11 games, or maybe five games, I think it was five games. I got my numbers switched around. Uh, over the last five games, I think the bullpen has com- pitched a combined 11 innings, which is good. Because that bullpen's awful. And I've made it known that that is one of the reasons, one of my bigger gripes with this team is their weak pitching staff. Again, for what? Third or fourth season in a row, it's the pitching staff that is one of the biggest question marks on the team. Seeing guys go have long outings um, is good. Because that way, it also gives me a little confidence uh, in the bullpen that they've gotten a lot of rest lately. And uh, they shouldn't have to be worried about um, tiredness, um, like lack of energy. Like being almost, it's the opposite of being used every night, night in and night out. Um, So that's um, a good feeling that I have with the Sox right now is the fact that they're not using their bullpen as much as um, as they are. Um, is it is it going to keep happening like that? I doubt it. There's probably going to be a game where they got to go to the bullpen in the fourth inning and uh, they'll probably end up losing that game. But uh, that's just how it happens sometimes. And right now the Sox are just if they can just keep on pace of what they're doing right now, um, they should be fine. They should be fine. And sure, like last night, it was a one nothing win, so there's a lack of offense again. But like, that's that just uh, as long as they're winning, that's all that I care about. Sure, the offense might not sh- might not show up, but as long as they get the win, that we should be thankful about that. But that should, that should be a little bit, um, I don't know, alarming that the Sox aren't, like, scoring at least, like, three to four runs a night. So, I don't know. But right now, the Sox are looking very good. And uh, they're back in the race, as I expected. They're sitting at 28 and 27, and uh, right in the middle of it. All right. Um, that's going to do it for today's episode. Episode two is almost in the books, uh, because, uh, we got stuff on the internet. Bring that back. Uh, it was like my favorite, probably part of last, the last go around, um, was stuff on the internet. Just a fun way to wrap up the show. Um, so, uh, for this episode, uh, for today's 
stuff on the internet. Uh, obviously, if you followed sports, you probably follow golf. You probably know what's going on right now with this Saudi-backed uh, live LIV golf tour that's starting. Um, a lot of notable names have resigned from the PGA Tour. Uh, Dustin Johnson probably being the most surprising out of all of them, in my opinion, just because of, I mean, he's still one of the top golfers in the league, right, or in the game. Um, just a quick list. Uh, Dustin Johnson, Graham McDowell, Ian Poulter, Kevin Knott, Louis Ustays, and Martin Keimer. Uh, Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia. Um, I mean, those guys are strong, well-known, long-time veterans of the league, of the game. Um, they all left uh, to go play in this tournament. Um, and all of those guys that I just listed uh, are captains of their teams. That's right. There's uh, golf teams uh, in this new tournament, in this new golf tour. Um, these teams are fucking awful. Team names, that is. These, what are these teams? Dustin Johnson, he's the captain of four aces. Graham McDowell, captain of Niblix. I got to be careful when I'm saying that word. Niblix. N-I-B-Lix. Ann Poulter, Majestix. So the word sticks was Madge out of it. Uh, let's see. Kevin Knott, Ironheads. Louis Oosthuizen, Stinger. It's not bad. Uh, Martin Kamer, Captain of Cleeks. C-L-E-E-K-S. Uh, Phil Mickelson, he is the captain of the High Flyers, which is spelled H-Y, Flyers. Uh, Garcia is the captain of Fireballs. Um, some other names are the uh, Punch, the Crushers, the Smash, Torque. Uh, I think that's it. So, um, this league is interesting, to say the least. Uh, it's going to be interesting. I don't know um, where to watch it, how to watch it. I don't know if I'm even interested in watching. Um, but... Uh, all those guys are going over there for the money, which I really don't care about. I mean, with golf, that's why golf play. That's why people play golf is really for the money. Um, it's not like basketball or hockey or football, baseball. A lot of those guys play because they grew up playing that game in their backyards and their streets. Whereas with golf, I mean, kind of had to be fortunate to go play at a golf course. Um, because, I mean, back in the 1900s and even today, it's still kind of a rich man's sport, golf. And I love golf. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not trying to, like, shit on the game at all, but, um, I mean, golfers, they grew up, they probably grew up fortunate. Maybe, I mean, I'm sure some didn't, but, I mean, people, there's definitely golfers who grew up with fortunate households. So, they're just working for their money. And I guess the report was out there, I think, like late last week. Uh, this tour offered Tiger Woods a deal that was 
in the nine figures range. So 100 million. Um, yeah. I mean, when you, when you get involved with oil kings like those Saudis are, uh, they got the money to throw around. They got money to throw around. All right. That's going to do it for today's episode. Ep- ugh, episode. Uh, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back next week, hopefully, with this new uh, venture that I'm going on with the show. Um, if not, I'm hopefully going to be doing something new uh, this time next week. So either way, hopefully, I'll be doing something next week. I wish I could be 100% committed in saying that, but it's just I don't know, and I hate it. But either way, uh, that's it for today's episode. Thank you guys for listening. Tell your friends, tell your mothers, tell your mother's friends and your friends' mothers, and I'll see you guys next week.